0: Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open them to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10, finding your place in God's word. I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful for each and every one of you. Um, this is a good time to remind you here at Lanexa Baptist Church, we will always have church on Sundays, so we will always have church. You, you can count on it. Um, one way or another, somebody will get here. There's going to be the proclamation of God's word in this pulpit. Sunday mornings, 9, 30, 11, Saturdays at 5 p.m., regardless of the weather. So don't be looking on whatever social media. Are they closed? Are they canceling? We, we don't cancel church here at Lenexa Baptist Church. So we're always going to have church. <clears throat> and then it's up to you to decide whether or not you can get here. All right. Everybody's situation is a little different, right? Everybody's situation is a little different. And so that is on you to just pray about. And what I love about this is when you can't make it, we have the technology that you can join us live stream. So we're grateful. Those that are able to join us uh, via live stream this morning, we're grateful for each and every one of you. And also reach Church Paola. Uh, We're excited about what God is doing there. And also reach Church uh, DeSoto. Um, Also, want to give you a word of update. Operation Christmas Child, we received over uh, 4,200 boxes this past week, so we surpassed our goal. Praise the Lord. Um, Thank you for all all of those that, that participated and took those boxes, filled them up, brought them back to the church. It was an incredible blessing to us as a church, and I want to say thank you to all the volunteers. We have so many volunteers here within our church. Uh, that give their time sacrificially um, to receive those boxes, not just from our church, but to receive boxes from churches and, and organizations all over Kansas City. So we're kind of a regional uh, receiving spot for the shoe boxes. And so it takes a lot of work from volunteers here at Lenexa Baptist. And I'm very, very grateful for the work that they put in to help us receive those boxes and get them sent out. So great job, church family. Thank you for helping us with that. And don't forget, as as Pastor Steve mentioned, there's so much going on this this Christmas season. But Kansas City Christmas, I really want to encourage you to be here. Um, One of those services, 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and then 5 o'clock again on Sunday. Um, Invite a friend. That really, it is our opportunity. What we're giving you is an opportunity to invite somebody to church. Invite somebody to Come. And uh, sometimes a person won't come to church on Sunday morning, but they might come to something like this. And I promise you, they're going to hear the gospel, plain and simple. They're going to hear us sing, worship um, to the God who has come to save us. And then we're going to talk about exactly what he did on the cross and I'm praying that many will come to faith in Christ this Christmas season. There's a lot of, men, a lot of other opportunities. Take advantage of all of them. As, as Pastor Steve said, there are opportunities to invite a friend, a coworker, a neighbor to come to church and worship with us as we worship the, the King who has come. We're also taking a little break out of Samuel. So beginning next week, we're going to do a series on prophecy fulfilled. Some of these prophecies that I mention a lot in my sermons, and then I wonder, do you get that? Do you, do you really understand what's there? We're going to pause Genesis 3.15, Psalm chapter 2. I reference these verses, these chapters all the time. And then I wonder, boy, sometimes it'd be good just to camp out there and make sure we really get that. And so we're going to do that as we lead up to to Christmas. And then after the first of the year, we're going to pause and we're going to be reminded of why we exist. It's very easy for us as a church to kind of get off track. And so uh, you probably heard Mission Drift. It's easy even for a church to get some mission drift and to uh, forget why we exist and why God's placed us here. And so the uh, first of the year, we're going to go right back to what we do. We're going to be reminded this is why God has left us here. This is the mission that God has given to us. And, and I thought this was a great place to push pause because I, I didn't want to go into next week in chapter 11 and kick off the Christmas season with David and Bathsheba. It's one of the favorite Christmas stories for a lot of people. Um, no, we're going to, we'll hold off till the first of the year um, to hit that. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 10. As we come to Second Samuel chapter 10 this morning, you remember uh, we're in this section where David has demonstrated himself as the Lord's anointed king who's extending the borders of Israel. He's taking ground for the kingdom of God. He's establishing the borders according to the promise that was given to Abraham. and. And he is a great and mighty king. In fact, he's established his kingdom on righteousness and he's ruling with justice and he's established order within the kingdom. There's government, there's there's police, there's military, there's borders. This is an organized, great king with an incredible kingdom. But then we got that pause in chapter nine that we looked at last week and reminded that not only is David a good king, he's a righteous king, he's a kind king. He longs to demonstrate kindness. That's kind of his default position. Um, He will go to war when necessary. He's holy. He's just. But kindness is what he longs to extend. And so you remember we saw Mephibosheth last week. He's a long way away. He's at Lodabar. He's an enemy. He's in the house of Saul. But David will reach out to him. When when Mephibosheth wasn't looking for, for David, David went looking for him. And David showed him kindness. And you remember Mephibosheth falls down, prostrates himself. He he repents, if you will. He worships. He, He says, I'll serve you. He makes King David his Lord. And he knows forgiveness and he knows grace. And he sits at the table and he's a part of the family. He's transferred from the kingdom of condemnation in King Saul to the kingdom of the beloved son, Jonathan by faith in King David. What a powerful picture. Well, this week we're going to see David demonstrate kindness to another individual. Somebody who's not within the household of faith, is not part of the nation of Israel. Somebody who's outside the nation. The gospel always goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But now God will extend his kindness to the Ammonites. But they're not going to respond like Mephibosheth. And it will be to their demise Because regardless of how you respond to him, he is the Lord's anointed. So with that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, uh, I know that uh, we've had a lot going on this week and and, um, gathering with family and friends. And we come and we pause here this morning. And I pray that you would help us to lay aside the things that might distract us and that we'd hone in on you and your word this morning. Even, even to the folks who are sitting at home, I pray that they'd kind of push out the distractions and for this brief period of time, they'd come to your word with humility and teachability and you would instruct us, you'd change us, you'd convict us, you'd draw us to yourself. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that they've known the kindness of God in their life day after day, but they've never turned to him in repentance and faith, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Lord, draw us all to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, look with me, chapter 10, verse one. It says, now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died and Hanun, his son, became king in his place. And then David said, and here's that word, I'll show kindness, it's, it's hesed. It's the same thing we looked at last week. It's that steadfast love of David. He, he, I'll show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him uh, concerning his father. It's amazing. Again, just as Mephibosheth was in the household of Saul and he was an enemy, so here you have the Ammonite king. He, he dies. His son takes over. And David longs to show kindness to somebody that would have been considered an enemy. And Nahash, if you remember, that's the king of the Ammonites who's died. That's Hanun's father. We've already seen Nahash. This was not a good man. This was an evil man. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, remember, it's Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, who besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And the people of Jabesh-Gilead said, we want to make a covenant with you. And he said, I'll make a covenant with you. But first, you I'm going to gouge out your right eye pretty severe. This was an evil guy, and, and so they said, well, give us some time, we'll see if we've got some somebody will come save us, and you remember, word gets to King Saul at that time, and King Saul sends out an ox that he cut up, and he tells the nation, if you guys don't show up to go to battle for Jabesh Gilead, let this happen to you, and the nation shows up, and they save them, but the point of the matter is, Nahash's not a good guy. This is not the guy that you're inclined to show kindness to. In fact, some of the commentators uh, made it a point to mention That the fact of the matter is, in the middle of a transition, this would have been an opportune time for David to go over there and just destroy the Ammonites, kill them all, and take over their land. They're weak. They're enemies. They've hurt us in the past. But don't you love this? That while they were still yet, you might say this, well, while they were still yet enemies, David loved them. He longed to show kindness. He's a king who's compassionate and kind and good. And and he knows that even though they're an enemy, they still hurt like we hurt, don't they? This young man, he's lost his dad. And David says, I want to show him kindness. And it says he wants to show him kindness because uh, evidently at some some point in verse 2, it says, just as his father showed kindness to me. It seems at some point Nahash had extended some kindness to David. Although the commentators agree, whatever kindness it might have been, it was probably not very significant, probably incredibly minimal, because Scripture makes no mention of the actual act that occurs. Most believe that at some point, David, when he was in exile from King Saul, that Nahash, David, was over by the Ammonites, and the Ammonites gave him, or king of the Ammonites, Nahash gave him some kind of, of safe haven for a brief period of time. Maybe maybe it was kind to him in a similar way that the Philistines were when David was in exile. But whatever it is, in a minimal demonstration of kindness towards David, David says, I want to show kindness to them. His heart is inclined towards reconciliation. His heart is inclined towards peace. Do you know what Romans 12, 18 says to us? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. This is to be the default position of our lives. As we live in a world, in in a lost world, that in many ways is hostile to the people of God, do you know the inclination of our hearts should be to show kindness even to people who are our enemies? Isn't that what Jesus tells us to do? Anybody can love their friends. You love your enemies. You pray for them. You seek to extend kindness. That is what David's doing here. And he recognizes that this lost world that's out there, they have the same problems we have, don't they? And when they're hurting, it's a great opportunity to extend kindness. So here's David. I just want to show kindness. I, 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 I I want reconciliation. I want peace. So he extends kindness to To the Ammonites. But how will they respond? At the end of verse 2. But it says. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites. The princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord. Do you think that David is honoring your father. Because he has sent uh, consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you. In order to search the city. To spy it out and overthrow it. So. Hanun hey uh, is going to listen uh, to the idiots of his day, I guess. He's just going to listen to the counselors who are not going to give him wise counsel. They're going to think that David is doing something that's less than sincere in its motivation. And so they convince Hanun, hey this guy's not here. He's not really about showing kindness. He, he's here to hurt you. And I, I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, when you have no good in your heart, it's hard to see any good in anybody else. You know, oftentimes we think of others what we would do if we were in their position. And I think these being evil men say, you know what we would do in this situation? we take advantage of it for our own good. And so they see that same inclination in the heart of David, but what they don't realize is David is a good king. And so they, they get into the ear of this king, noon, and noon is going to respond. He's going to listen to their counsel, and he's going to take it to the furthest extreme. Look at what he does. In verse four, so Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. I mean, this is not just, hey, no thanks, we don't want your kindness. No, this is total rejection. These guys that you sent, these servants, we are going to totally humiliate them publicly humiliating he humiliated them so for a man the men they grew out their beards it was a sign of dignity um elders in that culture were highly highly valued if you had a white beard you're a wise man and you were highly valued Isn't it interesting we got it all messed up today we value youthfulness uh, they valued elders these men of wisdom and so it was a sign of your dignity and your wisdom. And so to shave off a man's beard, you would shave it off in a season of mourning when you were going through grief. But to shave off half a man's beard is to call attention publicly to him and say that he is shamed, he's embarrassed, he's completely humiliated. Not only that, but they cut their clothes off at the waist, meaning they embarrassed them. They publicly embarrassed them. By the way, does this remind you of somebody else who came to extend kindness and they plucked out his beard and stripped him naked and hung him to a cross and he was publicly humiliated by the people he came to save? Here are these servants. They're coming with a message of of reconciliation and peace and kindness and they're treated with the highest form of disrespect and humiliation well what will david's response be because how david responds here will will tell us a lot about who david is and the first thing that you see that david does is what does he do in verse five when they told it to david he sent to meet them for the men were greatly humiliated the king said stay at jericho until your beards grow and then return david's heart is inclined towards his men that have been humiliated he loves these guys these were the guys he sent them there He sent them with the message of kindness and they've been publicly humiliated and he longs to take their shame upon himself and he he goes to them and says, stay right there, we can get you clothes, but the beards are gonna take a while, but you need to hide yourself. We do not want you to take this public shame. In other words, David takes this personal. You attack my men, what you're really doing is attacking me. And David longs to show compassion and kindness. I was reminded as I was studying this, you remember when when Saul, who will become Paul, when Saul is on the road to Damascus and the Lord meets him, and and there, what does the Lord say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Who was Saul persecuting? Christians. But do you know what Jesus says? You mess with my children, you're messing with me. And what David is saying here in the consolation of his men, Ammonites, you mess with my men, you're messing with me. And now it just got personal. Well, look at the the response of the Ammonites. What does it say about them in verse 6? When the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of Beth-Rahab and the Arameans of zobah 20,000 foot soldiers and the king of Macaw with 1,000 men and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. So the Ammonites realize we become odious, we become a stench to King David. In other words, we've upset him, we've made him incredibly mad. And know this, this is the evaluation of themselves. This is their assessment of the situation. This is not telling you this is what David responded as, but this is what they know in their hearts to be true. In other words, they understand we have sinned against the Lord's anointed, and we are guilty, and we deserve the wrath of this king. We deserve the judgment of the king, and their guiltiness weighs upon them. Now, in that, in that moment, this is a critical moment in the story because the fact of the matter is, as they realize they have sinned against the Lord's anointed, when they realize they're guilty, when they realize they deserve wrath, what they should have done, what they could have done, is gone to King David and fell at his feet, much like Mephibosheth, and cried out for mercy. And the picture that we have of David is that when people came to him crying out for mercy, he tended to show mercy. So they they realize their guilt. They realize they're deserving of punishment and wrath. But instead of going and throwing themselves at the feet of David in an act of faith and a desire for mercy, they're going to reject. We're going to rebel. We're going to unite ourselves against the Lord and his anointed. And this is what the world does. This is the history of the world. They reject God, they reject his people, and they reject his word. That's the picture here. The world unites in rejection against the Lord. We don't want God, we don't want his people, and we don't want him telling us how to live. And so instead of repentance, the kindness of the Lord is intended to lead us to repentance. Instead of the kindness of David, leading them to repentance is gonna lead them to rejection. And they're gonna get a bunch of people. We're gonna get this big army together, and we're gonna come against David so the nations unite. In verse 7, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men. So David sends Joab. Joab is his commander. We haven't really heard about Joab since the death of Abner. Well, Joab now shows up on the scene, and David is going to send his mighty men in a show of force. In verse 8, the sons of Ammon came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city. Um, We believe that to be the capital city of the Ammonites, probably Rabbah. But the entrance of the city, while the Arameans of Zobah and of Rahab and the men of Tob and Macah were by themselves in the field. So they're going to divide themselves into two camps. They're going to create kind of a pincher movement against the, the people of Israel. Well, how will Joab respond in verse 9? Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. And so he takes the choices guy, say, you're with me. We're going to go against the Arameans, verse 10. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. So Abishai, you're going to lead these guys over here. You're going to go against the men of Ammon. I'm going to take the choice men. We're going to go against these mercenaries, which is what the Arameans were. So these are a more severe fighting force. They're Syrians in the north. We're going to go against those guys. You go against Ammon. If they're too tough for you, I'll come to your aid. If these guys are too tough for me, you'll come to my aid. It's a genius military move. But what's so important is not the genius of his military move, but the attitude of his heart. Look at Look at verse 11. He said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll come to help you. Verse 12, be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our God and people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Wow, you get to see the faith and the theology of Job. Isn't that amazing? Job's a murderer. He, he, he's a, he just a military commander, and yet right here he's going to demonstrate incredible faith, and he's going to make a deep theological statement that undergirds all that we see here. Is it possible for God to use some incredibly flawed and imperfect people to achieve and accomplish His purposes? Yes, He does it all the time. And so here is Joab to. He's the only one who mentions God in the whole chapter, the military man, the commander. And what does he say? We're gonna be strong, we're gonna be courageous and then we're gonna let God be God and let God do what he sees as good in his eyes. And really this is a powerful picture and a good principle and lesson for all of us to learn because Joab finds himself in a situation where he doesn't know how the battle's gonna turn out. He's hopeful. The Lord is with us. We're God's people. We're in God's land. We're fighting his battles. This isn't about ethnic cleansing. This is not about David just not liking these folks. These are about the enemies of God coming against the people of God. He's fighting a just war. God is on his side. But he don't know how it's going to turn out. And so what does he say? We're going to be strong. We're going to be courageous. We're going to fight. We're going to give them all we got. And then we're going to let God be God. And folks, can I tell you, that is a great attitude to have when you face circumstances in your life where you don't know how it's gonna turn out. There's a lot of situations in life where we don't know, do we? We have a lot of promises that God's with us. We have promises that God hears us, but we find ourselves often in situations where we don't know how it's gonna turn out. I, I mean, I think about people that I'm praying for in my life right now. People who are, they, they don't know if the cancer treatment's gonna work. They're gonna try, they're gonna fight, they're gonna pray, but they don't know if it's gonna work. They don't know how it's going to turn out. The people who they don't know how their marriage is going to turn out. They're fighting. They don't know what their spouse is going to do. But they're praying. They're fighting. They're doing all they can. But then God's going to have to be God because we don't know how this is going to turn out. People with children. They don't know how it's going to turn out. People right now with their jobs. They're in fear of losing their job or they've lost their job and they're trying to get a job and they don't know how it's going to turn out. And they go to interviews and they fight and they work and they pray. And that is a picture of what we do. We are people who believe that God hears our prayers. Amen. We believe that God is the God of the possible, that God can do whatever he pleases. And and we, we ask and we seek and we knock. We believe that God is sovereign. Amen. But God's sovereignty should not lead us to spiritual laziness in our prayers. In other words, there's a lot of people who, well, God's going to be God. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. So, God, here it is. I'm signing off. Leave it in your hands. You will not find that prayer glorified in Scripture. Do you know what God honors in Scripture? The people who will give him no rest in their prayers. People who know that God is good. People that know that God is all-powerful. Knowing that God hears them and God moves in response to prayer. And they give no God no rest in their prayers. They ask. They seek. They knock. But then, at the end, what do they say? But God, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And regardless of how it turns out, you do what's good in your eyes, not my eyes. I trust you. That's how we pray. Isn't it interesting? That comes from Joab, teaching us how to pray and seek the Lord. And so Israel's here. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're going to trust you, God. We're going to fight, and then we're going to let you be God, and you bring about what you desire well, look at what happens in verse 14. Um, in verse 13. So, Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, they also fled before Abishai had entered the city. Then, Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. So, uh, it, just a show of force. Joab just shows up with his guys, starts moving, and they run. That's what you call divine intervention. God just intervenes on behalf of his people. There's not a it doesn't look like a shot fired. No sword thrown, no javelin thrown, no spear thrown, no blood shed just to show a show of force and the people run. God was with them. Well, you would think now they've been beaten on multiple occasions. God is batting a thousand. He's the ultimate goat. He's never been beaten. And you would think now beaten twice, they'd say, "You know what?" I think we need to stop kicking against the goads and just submit to this king. I think he's the Lord's anointed. I think it might be a good idea just to submit to him, make him king, and and know know his goodness and know his grace. Is that what they're going to do? Well, look at what it says. When the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together, and Hadad-Ezer sent and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam, and Shobach, the commander of the army of Had-Ezer, led them. So they're going to double down. We're going all in. We're not going to submit. We are going to rebel. We're going to reject this king. How will it work? Do you think God's going to say, well, I guess if you got a lot of men with you, I think we'll just let you take over King David. No, King David is the Lord's anointed, and he ain't going to lose. Look at verse 17. Now when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helem, and the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen and struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings, the servants of Hadad Ezer, saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon anymore. So it's total defeat. David whips them. 40,000 people die. And once 40,000 people have died on the field of battle and they've been beaten like a borrowed mule, all of a sudden they realize, hey, I think we'll make peace with this guy. When they come to the end of their robes, when they have nowhere else to turn and no hope, then and only then will they turn and say, David, we want to make peace with you, your king. And you know what, as I read this story, I think, my goodness, what if you guys... If you just turned and made him king a little earlier, you might have avoided losing 40,000 people on a field of battle. But because you were stubborn in your obstinance, it had disastrous consequences on your life. And what you see here is regardless of how you respond to the king, he is the Lord's anointed, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. See, what we see here is a picture of God's love towards the world. There's a a story here, but it's not just about David. There's a bigger picture here that we're intended to see. Listen, God has extended his kindness to the world. Amen? Every day you get up and take a breath is an act of God's kindness and his grace. The Lord holds everything together. The sun come up the rainfall, even the snow. It's all a gift of God's kindness and grace. Beyond that, the greatest extension of his kindness was what? In the giving of his son Jesus. We're going to celebrate it at Christmas that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for your sins and mine. He extended his kindness in the giving of his son Jesus. And even beyond that, his his kindness continues to be extended as every day we get another day to live and the patience of God is extended and the forbearance of God is extended. Why? So that more can come to faith in salvation. The fact that Christ has not already come and brought judgment is an act of his kindness. Withholding his wrath that is soon coming. And God sends out his messengers. His messengers, who are that? It's you and me. You know what we go? We go out into the world with a message of reconciliation, peace, and kindness, don't we? We go out to tell the world, you know what? You're enemies. And you're a stench in his nostrils. (laughs) You're odious because of your sin. But he loves you. And he wants you to know his kindness and he wants you to know his reconciliation and he wants you to know his peace. And yet, how does the world oftentimes treat us? They act, they treat us like we're a bunch of foolish little kids. They mock us, they ridicule us, they humiliate us. And Christ consoles us, you're my people. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. You hang in there, I'm king, it'll work out well for you someday. And there's a world that continues to reject. There's some, like Mephibosheth, just like we did, they fall at his feet and they cry out for mercy and they know his faith, uh, they know his forgiveness and they, they become a part of the family of God. But there's a larger world that continues to reject and they rebel against the king. But know this, just as David, at the end of the story, David shows up. Earlier in the story, he sends Joab. He just sends his guys. But when his patience has run thin... David himself shows up, and it's a bloodbath. And listen to me. Jesus Christ, he's coming back. One day he himself is coming. Right now he is being patient, desiring that none should perish, but that all would come to faith. But know this one day the nations of the world will be gathered in the valley of Armageddon against the Lord and against his anointed, and Christ will return. Christ himself will come with the bride, the church, us, and he will put down their rebellion, and it'll be a bloodbath. His judgment is coming. And so here's the picture the picture is this God longs to show kindness, he longs for reconciliation. He longs for peace. He extends his kindness. How are you going to respond? Do you know what Paul tells us in Romans 2? The kindness of the Lord leads us to what? Repentance. See, he's extended his kindness. What we're intended to do is repent of our sin and turn to him in faith, and then we know his forgiveness, we know his freedom. But listen to me. If you will not repent, if you continue to reject, you will know his judgment. Cuz just cuz you don't want him to be king doesn't mean he's not king. That's why we're going to study Psalm 2 in a couple of weeks. Why do the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear his fetters apart. Let us cast away his cords from us. That's the attitude of the world. We don't want God. We don't want Jesus. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want his word. We don't like his people. Isn't that the mantra of the world today? We want to do whatever we want to do, live however we want to live without any repercussion. And they snub their nose at God and they reject his son Jesus and they reject his kindness. And do you know what it says? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he'll speak to them in his anger and he'll terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God has declared, I've already established the king. His name is Jesus. Whether you want him or not, he is king. And then Jesus speaks and he says, I'll surely tell the decree of my Lord for he said to me, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. That's the incarnation. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I'll surely give you the nations as your inheritance and you shall break them like a rod of iron. Does that sound like this chapter we just read? David breaks them like a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. And how does that psalm end? Take warning, O judges of the earth. Meaning, be warned. He is king. You're not going to beat him. Take warning, O judge of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. You know what do homage means? Get on your knee, kiss the ring, kiss the sun. Fall at His feet, cry out for mercy, repent. What does it say? Lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. The picture here is the the picture we see throughout scripture. Jesus is king. He loves you. He longs for you to know his kindness. You got one of two choices. You can reject and know his judgment. Or you can bend the knee and you can receive him and know his grace and his forgiveness. I don't know about you. I'd rather submit my life to him and know that I'll rule and reign with him rather than rage against him and one day know assuredly I will know his judgment and his wrath. He is righteous and he's holy and he's also good. You want to know his goodness? Submit to him today. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly to us about who you are. And God, I pray for anybody in this room today that may not know you. They've known your kindness every day they got up, every breath they took, every step, gift of your grace. You've been incredibly kind to them. Most importantly, your kindness was demonstrating the giving of your son to die on a cross for their sins. But maybe they've taken your kindness for granted. Maybe they put it off. Maybe in active rebellion, they've said, I don't want that. I don't care about his kindness. Lord, I pray that you would convict them of their sins today. I pray, much like the Ammonites, they would know that they stand in a place of guilt. And Lord, I pray that your kindness would lead them to repentance. I pray that they would turn from their sin and they would turn to you as king of kings and lord of lords that they might know your grace and your forgiveness and your freedom. Lord, I pray that they'd be warned. One way or another, they're gonna bow. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. They can bow now willingly and know your grace They can bow then and know your condemnation, but they're gonna bow. Lord, I pray for those of us that know you. I pray that, Lord, we like King David, in the midst of a world that stands in opposition to you and to your word and your people, I pray that we would seek to extend kindness. We'd be a people who long for reconciliation and peace, and we would take a gospel message to a lost and dying world. And regardless of how they treat us, I just pray that we would always be strong and courageous. We'd let you be God. In the situations and circumstances of life, when we don't know how it's going to turn out, we just let you be God. We'd do all we can and let you be God. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.